you know what? It's really fun to be here. Yeah, Casey was tough. And Casey Jones set the example for the league as the backcourt defensive specialist who could not be ignored on offense. K.C. Jones might be the unsung hero of the Boston Celtics' success over the past three or four years. He directs the ball club offensively and its fast break, and he certainly directs the ball club with its defense and its full court press. Great hands by K.C. Jones on that play. We're all going to miss K.C. Jones. Tatum straight away, left-hand dribble. Giannis in front of him, the marquee matchup. Five seconds to go. Tatum steps to his left, launches the three. Oh! Bakes it in! He baked it in! What's up? What's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode 104, 104 of the Banner Branch Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? I hope you and your family had a terrific Christmas day, terrific Christmas weekend. Hope everyone is happy, healthy, and safe, and happy new year. I can't believe next week, episode 105 will be in 2021. And here's to hoping everything in 2021 is better than 2020. As always, you can find me on the Twitter machine at BannerBanter18 or on Facebook and Instagram at BannerBanterPodcast. And as you know, I am part of the Big Night Media family, Big Night Media squad with a bunch of podcasts like The Marky P Show, Those Girls You Know, Burnt Toast, Eat the Damn Cake, The Let's Get Rich Podcast, and Drinks After Work. Make sure you check all those out. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, rating, etc., etc. And then Big Night Entertainment Group has a bunch going on on New Year's Eve. Go to BNEG.com to make your reservations to all of their fantastic restaurants where you can not only have fun, but more importantly, be safe during these crazy COVID times that we're living in. And before you do go out uh, on New Year's Eve, make sure you run for a plan. On New Year's Eve day, lace up, mask up, and go for a one-mile run. Take a picture on social media. Use the hashtag run for a plan to spread the word about the government helping restaurants with a plan. Where's the plan? And you can also find out more information on that at where's the plan.org. Cool, great, thanks. Moving on. Casey Jones, one of the most iconic Boston Celtics players and coaches of all time, passed away at the age of 88 on Christmas Day, probably around two or three clock in the afternoon is when the Twitter notifications started blowing up about Casey Jones passing away. He has the number 25 retired with the Boston Celtics. He was a player for the Boston Celtics. He was an assistant coach for the Boston Celtics. He was the head coach for Boston Celtics. He won 73% of his games as a player when he was playing for the Celtics, and then 75% of the games that he coached. So on average, whether he was coaching or playing, Casey Jones won 74% of his games. Isn't that insane? I mean, eight championships as a player, one one as an assistant coach, two as a head coach, two-time NCAA champion, an Olympic gold medalist, an incredible person, loved by many, and uh, another big-time hit for the Boston Celtics, legends, and, you you know, you look at a a picture where it was like Tommy Heinsohn, Red Arbach, Casey Jones, and Bill Russell, and it's crazy to think that Bill Russell... Obviously, 
in some people's eyes around here, the actual goat of basketball. Um, not saying mine. I'm just saying the actual goat because I never got to see him play. I just see highlights. But it's crazy that he's the only one left uh, from that pitcher. So rest in peace to Red Auerbach. Rest in peace to Tommy Heinsohn. And more importantly, to this podcast today, rest in peace, Casey Jones. Just an incredible player, both ends of the floor. I watched a whole bunch of highlights trying to find those little quotes that you heard in the intro, and he is going to be greatly missed, not only by his family and friends, but a lot of Boston Celtics fans in the area. So rest in peace, Casey Jones. All right, let's get into this crappy week from the Boston Celtics. I mean, yes, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks thanks to Jason Tatum's ugly but ridiculous buzzer beater, 122-1. to Twenty-one, they get embarrassed by the Nets, one twenty-three to ninety-five, and then they lose to the Pacers in a close game last night, one one hundred nine to one hundred eight. So obviously one and two, not terrible. The Bucks are one and two. I think the Raptors are zero and two right now. The Seventy Sixers just lost to the Cavs, but they didn't have Joel Embiid. So obviously this is going to be a weird year, but there's still a lot of time left. Obviously the Celtics are missing one of their best players in Kevin Walker. So. Let's just recap game by game. I'll tell you some things that I liked about and didn't like about the Bucks game, the next, the Nets game, the Pacers game. And then the Celtics are actually playing four games this week. They're playing the Pacers again tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in Indy on Tuesday, if you're listening on Monday. And if you're listening on Tuesday, they're playing today. Uh, and then they're back at the Garden for their first back-to-back of the season, this time against the Memphis, the Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies. And then they play Friday and Sunday in Detroit against the Pistons. So we obviously have a lot to talk about. I'll obviously give you my stud and dud of the week. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll be it. So why don't we get into this box game? I mean, number one, obviously a great but ugly shot by Jason Tatum, and to do it over the reigning defensive player of the year, Giannis Antetokounmpo, very, very impressive. If, and then number two, if you didn't see that alley-oop coming to get Time Lord, I'm the Time Lord, <laughs> Giannis to the free throw line, you're blind. That was one of the most obvious plays known to mankind. You only have four tenths of a second left or eight tenths of a second left. Maybe you have enough time to get it off if, you, if you're Chris Middleton, but obviously I'm sure the Celtics were looking for it because Chris Middleton is a Celtics killer. So obviously the second option there or the number one option there was get the ball to Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they did, got him to the free throw line, and luckily he missed those free throws. But <sighs> the Celtics are still as soft as Charmin toilet paper, and... It's ridiculous. They were up 15 or 16, hell, maybe even 17 points, if I remember correctly, in the fourth quarter, and they gave up that lead. And for that to happen, for the game to be on the line, for the former MVP to to, to miss a free throw for you to win the game is ridiculous. And for Jason Tatum to have to hit a shot that was so hideous, but thankfully it went in to win a game after you're up 17 points in the fourth quarter, joke. They're still soft. I know Kemba's not out there. I know they don't have another offensive weapon, really, especially with Marcus Smart not hitting a shot all game, which we'll talk about in a second, but just really not that great. So let's get some of the the, the negative out of the way. Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice starting together, I don't get it. They survived. Now, will that work for some matchups like I've mentioned before? Absolutely. Did it work for part of the Pacers and uh, the Pacers game on Sunday? Yes, it did. Sorry, I'm recording this really early, and I'm just tired because I'm still really angry about the Pacers game last night. So Thompson and Tice starting against Pacers, fine. Thompson and Tice starting against the Nets and the Bucks, that's a big no for me, Doug. Absolutely not. But, hey, they survived. I mean, Tristan Thompson has, is still on a minute restriction because of his hamstr- hamstring strain, which is a, a mouthful. Um, but 
12 points, 8 boards, half of those being offensive rebounds. I mean, Tristan Thompson, offensive rebounds. Oh, my God. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. I, I, I knew he was good doing it because we saw him all the times that the Cavs beat the Celtics in the playoffs, like whether it was a seven-game series or uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals or that first-round series where they got swept by him when I think the Celtics were the eighth seed or something like that when they shouldn't have made it. And Anyways. Christian Thompson's a phenomenal offensive rebounder. He really is. He's absolutely terrific, and I and I love watching it, and I can't wait for his minute restriction to go up. But him and Tice out there together, teams are just going to run and run and run, and one of the big issues with the Celtics so far this year, three games in, is their transition defense, and I'll get and I'll talk about that later on. Because the, the Bucks got a lot of fast-break points very early in this game, and it was very, very annoying. So the Celtics are down nine with about seven minutes to go, and then the bench showed up. First of all, Shemi Ojale. I know 2020 is a weird year, but Shemi Ojale did a lot of shutting me up in this Bucks game. He had a very, very nice game. I love that fast break and one that he did with the layup. Like, where's that been? Like, we've been waiting forever for that. That's why we drafted you. Like, like what are you doing? Obviously, Peyton Pritchard, his first NBA shot as a step-back three, which was nice. He seemed confident out there. And then, you know, they chipped away in that second quarter, and that was very nice to see. And they cut the lead down to four, which was nice. And then the Bucks called the timeout. Portis gets called for a defensive three seconds. Jalen hits the free throw. Teague then gets two more th- uh, free throws. Jalen hits another free No. No, then Shemi hits a three, and then the Celtics are up one. So a great way to close the half. That's what you want to see. But the issue is the Celtics, they couldn't close out quarters last year. But then they also couldn't start off the third quarter very well because the year before last year, the 18-19 season, they just sucked in the second quarter. It was absolutely terrible. So obviously they've improved in the second quarter, and now they suck in the third quarter again. But again, improvement, improvement. So hopefully that changed. But... The way that Jalen Brown closed out that first half, you love to see it. Overall, he was absolutely fantastic in this game. He was fearless. He had 33 points. He was very aggressive, and that's exactly what you want to see in your second scoring option in hopes that it can continue down the road. I don't need 33 points from Jalen Brown every night. I mean, will I take it? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't? But I just need Jalen Brown to be more consistent and be more of a reliable scorer and the other thing is, he had more assists than Tatum, which you love to see. If, like I like I said last week, if you're new to this podcast, I don't like how much Jason uh, Jalen Brown doesn't pass the ball. Okay, it drives me absolutely insane. So if he can get better distributing the ball and be a better playmaker, this team is going to be better. So that's a great start. Game one, he has four assists, and like I've said before, if he has five assists. We have a dance party. We really and truly do. So those people that are new to the podcast, I, I really hope Jalen Brown gets five assists soon so we so we can have a dance party together. And then uh, what else did what else didn't I like? I mean, uh, oh yeah, Grant Williams. Grant Williams is a little too involved with the offense, if you ask me. I mean, these step back three pointers in the Pacers game, these ISO jab step corner three-pointers that I think he did in the preseason. That's a no for me, dog. Absolutely not. I mean, I feel like Brad Stevens is throwing some of the offense that he had with Al Horford into the system now with Grant Williams. So can Grant Williams improve? Sure. But right now, it's making me uneasy 
physically and mentally. I, I'm not a big fan of it. So we go into the second half, and I believe the Celtics go up. Uh, they were up 64 to 59 a little bit. And yeah, f- they were up 64 to 59. And then the Bucks went on a 7 0 run. Then the Celtics started looking like the Celtics. So it was nice to see that the Celtics can still start off the second half absolutely terrible, but also fight back as well. A lot of people were getting involved. Daniel Tice was scoring. Tristan Thompson was scoring. Brown, Tatum. And Marcus Smart did not hit a shot this entire game. He was 0 of 3. Marcus Smart only took three shots. So you're th- saying to yourself, oh my God, to start the season, this is going to be absolutely delicious and delightful. He had seven assists. It was the perfect Marcus Smart game. Defend, get other people involved, and only shoot when you need to. And if it doesn't go in, guess what? That's okay. Obviously, in the Nets game and the Pacers game, he got better shots. They went in. He felt a little bit confident, but he didn't go crazy. So that's good. But then my guy, Jeff Teague. My guy, Jeff Teague, said, you know what, Milwaukee? I've had enough of this. And he scored back-to-back threes. He, he went four of four for threes in this game. He And then after that, after he hit those back-to-back threes, he then assisted to Jalen Brown for another three. And now the Celtics are up 10. And then Tatum goes on a 5-0 run to close out the quarter. Celtics are up 17 going into the fourth quarter against the team that is favored to win the Eastern Conference. You're feeling great. But just like, you know, classic Celtics, they couldn't hold on to a lead. Giannis got going. Middleton started hitting a couple shots. Drew Holiday finally felt comfortable with his teammates out there. The Celtics went cold and just folded. And this just has to change. It, it's really going to drive me nuts forever until it does change. This team cannot give up leads. This team can fight back. You know, they love coming back from a lead. You saw it in the Pacers game. You know, they were down eight with, what, five or six minutes to go? And they tied it up. Then they took the lead, but they couldn't hold on to it. It drives me crazy. Absolutely drives me crazy. And the other thing that was crazy is the last few seconds of this game. You know, uh, Jalen made that layup to tie it. Then Tatum hits that fadeaway to go up two. Drew Holiday comes down the court and says, hey, I'm here. Hits a three. Tatum hits that step back three. And then Giannis got fouled and thank God miss, missed those free throws. Just a, a, an absolutely crazy and wild game. And, you know, you're obviously happy that the Celtics won. It wasn't pretty at all. But, hey, a win is a win against a very good team. And it should give you some confidence going into the next game against the Brooklyn Nets. So, you know, there there are some things you can be happy about. Um, no, no, I, 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 no, there isn't. There isn't. I mean, they got destroyed. They got absolutely destroyed on the boards when they started two centers. Absolutely destroyed. I think they lost by double digits in the rebound battle. Uh, they only went to the free throw line 11 times. They only got five fast break points. But they did only have seven turnovers. So to only have seven turnovers... First game of the season, first game that actually matters against a good defensive team like the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, now you maybe can carry some momentum going into the Nets game. And the Nets game was um, was something. I mean, um, I'm going to try and stay on this positive train here. Uh, I mean, the Celtics got 20 offensive rebounds in the Nets game, so that was good. Uh, they won the rebound battle against the Nets, uh, as they should, because they are a bigger team than the Nets. Uh, they scored more points in the paint, um, and they scored more fast break points than they did in the Bucks game, which I think it was five points in the yeah it was five points in the Bucks game, and seven points in the Nets game. 
And I think, yeah, I think that was the difference. So one more basket. So hooray. Um, same starters as game one, which kind of worked, but let's be honest, uh, it didn't at all. Time Lord was out sick, so another lack of a big man is not great. Um, obviously, it was it was very nice to see how the Celtics missed a shot, got an offensive rebound, missed a shot, got an offensive rebound, and then 58 seconds into the game, Steve Nash called a timeout. So, obviously, for a coach in technically his second real game, already being pissed off at at its guys 58 seconds in because the Celtics were trying harder than the Nets. You love to see it. I mean, Tristan Thompson really is a dog on the offensive boards. I I may say that every podcast because I it's so nice to see because we really haven't seen it before. The negative about all these offensive rebounds is the, is the Celtics started off 0 of 6. Then Marcus Smart hit some threes, which, again, which was a nice change. They weren't contested. He took open shots. He let the shots come to him. You love to see that. Then uh, Spencer Dinwiddie got hurt. So you go, okay, Marcus Smart's hitting shots. Their third best scorer is getting, is just got hurt. Maybe there's a chance here. And then it kind of spiral, spiraled a bit. Like once that happened because Tristan Thompson got in foul trouble. Daniel Tice got in foul trouble. And the issue is, is they got called on multiple fouls on seal screens. And that is how Jason Tatum scores a lot of his points and or it's how he gets a lot of trips to the free throw line. Those st- those sealed screens is Daniel Tice's bread and butter, and I'm sure they are teaching everything under the sun to Tristan Thompson about it. He's been in the league for a while. I'm sure he did it a lot for LeBron. Obviously, I'm not studying tape uh, like I do with the Celtics, you know, with the Cavs. But Jason Tatum... Not having any free throw attempts in the first two games is terrible. And do you want to know why? Shemi Ojale. Let me let me say this again. Shemi Ojale led the team in free throw attempts in the first half. Now, once again, Shemi Ojale had a very nice first half. He had eight points. One of the frustrating things about Shemi Ojale playing well is Javante Green, who didn't play in the first half, came in in the second half before Shemi did. Now, was that going to make a difference? Absolutely not. But... Whenever you see a lineup of Grant Williams, Jason Tatum, Shemi Ojale, Peyton Pritchard, and Jeff Teague, you get a little nervous. And the Celtics were down. And there really isn't a scoring option there besides Jeff Teague. And Teague was great in Game 1. Game 2, not so much. He Nothing was really falling for him. And that happens. And he's a veteran. And he can play through that. And I'm cool with it. But that group actually did chip away at the lead. And they actually kind of took control for a little bit. They had good defense which led to easy buckets, even though Jeff Teague missed a wide-open dunk, and luckily the Celtics got the offensive rebound and converted. Peyton, uh, Peyton Pritchard had a couple steals. He brought great energy off the bench. Uh, I, I was not a fan of his fast-break three-pointer that he took. Not a fan of that at all. Um, I don't, at the time, during that Nets game, you say to yourself, I like this kid, but I don't know if he's ready for 20 minutes a game. And then you watch him in the Pacers game, and you're like, this kid's ready for 25 minutes a game. It's absolutely crazy. And I know a lot of people are complaining about where's Aaron Neesmith. And I'm not one of those people yet because the kid hasn't played since January. He's coming off of a broken foot. He only played one year before that at Vandy. So he really only played for one full season and then not even a quarter of his second season. Peyton Pritchard is a four-year college player that can understand basketball and maybe pick things up a little bit quicker. And obviously when 
Aaron Neesmith came into the game in the second half against the Bucks. He took his very first NBA shot, and it went to Ireland. That thing sailed over the basket. It was an absolutely terrible shot. And maybe that's getting his nerves out. I know eventually he hit a three-pointer or two in the game. But maybe just Aaron Neesmith hasn't picked it up yet. And that's okay. No summer league. No training camp. I mean, the training camp was bullshit. Let's be honest. With all the COVID restrictions, blah, 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 blah. So I'm okay with that. I like. I really and truly am. If Aaron Neesmith can help this team in the playoffs, that is going to be more important than Aaron Neesmith helping the Celtics out in Game Two. I'm I'm being dead serious with that. I <laughs> like no joke. So the Celtics have a little bit of the lead going into the second half. They have what a three point lead going in the second half, and. All of a sudden, Joe Harris hit a three on a fast break because Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice couldn't get back enough because when you have two big guys out on the floor, teams are going to run, run, and run against you. They're going to keep doing it. And Tristan Thompson is a good defender. He really is. And one of the reasons I think why the Celtics do like him is because he can switch and be long and lengthy and be athletic enough to, if Kyrie Irving, for example, is setting a screen and Tristan Thompson has to go cover Kyrie, he could give Kyrie a hard time. Not not a great time, but just a hard time. Kyrie will eventually get around him or get him a shot over him because Tristan's lateral movement isn't that great. But he's an okay defender. The issue is, is Kevin Durant is so long, he can shoot right over him. And Kevin Durant got going, and then it was over. I mean, Brad changed the starting lineup group two and a half minutes into the third quarter because he knew it was going to spiral. And then the Celtics kind of forced their focus a little bit on Kevin Durant. But, oh, wait, we all have to remember how good Kyrie Irving is, who's better than Kemba Walker. Let's just end that conversation right now. I understand he's a douche canoe in the locker room, but he is number one better than Kemba Walker. It's a fact. And it it showed (laughs) in that game. He's unbelievable. And the reason why he's unbelievable, and I'm sure Celtics fans that absolutely hate Kyrie Irving in every way, shape, or form, who don't even believe that he's a better player than Kemba Walker, he's now the number two guy again. When he was the number one guy, I don't think he could really handle the pressure. I I, I, I really and truly believe that. Now he's the number two because now Kevin Durant's number one. And now that he's the second option, he's fantastic. And the Celtics kind of put all their focus on Kevin Durant, and he was like, fine, bring it. And... Kyrie went off. He really and truly did. But the Celtics giving up all these fast break points is going to... I don't know if it's lack of effort. I don't know if these te- if all these teams are seeing you know, two big men out there or some guys that just aren't big enough or quick enough to keep up with them, and then they just run. But the, the Nets went off. Their bench is ridiculous. I mean, th- the Celtics couldn't catch back up with their starters with... The Nets bench out there. That's how that's how deep the Nets are, um, and that's why I picked them to win uh, the Eastern Conference, or at least get the number one seed in the Eastern Conference uh, once the playoffs start, because they are that good. And I understand that they just lost to the Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier of the Charlotte Hornets, who are playing absolutely ridiculous together. Who would have thought Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward would be dropping seventy points a game combined? Absolutely ridiculous. But one thing that I really did not like about this Nets game. I don't know if anyone else noticed it, and I really hope it changes. Like, I, and I really hope it comes back soon. But, and I understand. 
let me let me just say this first. I understand that Kevin Durant is one of the all-time best scorers ever in NBA history. He's unbelievable, a once-in-a-generational talent. We could go on and on with all, all the different things that I want to say. But Jason Tatum's defense was horrible in this game. Kevin Durant got by him with ease, and I don't even think Kevin Durant's 100%, and I think we can all agree on that, that like he may never be the same as he was when he was in OKC or playing for Golden State, but Jason Tatum could not defend him. And I, I get it. It's a tough guard. But one of the highlights of Jason Tatum last year is, was he was becoming a very good two-way player. Phenomenal on the offensive side and getting better and better every day on, on the defensive side. And I hope, I don't think Jason Tatum's like this, but I just have to say it out loud. I hope that Jason Tatum comes back to earth. You got your contract. You got all the hype coming into the season. Do what got you there. Play good offense. Get the team involved. More importantly, be a very good defender and be a good two-way player. And that's that. Pacers game. Holy guacamole, that Pacers game. That Pacers game drove me absolutely crazy. Victor Oladipo was out for the Pacers uh, in this game. He will most likely play in the next game. This is... uh, this is going to happen a lot. I feel like my brain just shut off. But this is going to happen a lot. You're, you're going to see, and I don't know if it's going to happen maybe with the Pistons next weekend with Blake Griffin or something, but play teams want to keep their players healthy. This is a weird start to the year. They don't want to run them into the ground early with not the usual time with training camp, a very short off season. So Victor Oladipo missed this game. He's obviously going to play on Tuesday, most likely. I'd be shocked if he didn't. Um, against the Celtics again in Indiana at 7 p.m. But the Celtics come out with the same starting lineup, and the first possession of the game, they just attack Miles Turner, and Tristan Thompson got to the line. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic stuff. I loved it because they were basically saying, we're here to play, let's go, good luck defending us. And I don't know, I... (laughs) I think I got a little too excited with how physical Tristan Thompson was with Miles Turner. And, folks, I understand people have off games. I really do. But Miles Turner playing almost 30 minutes, shooting 3 of 10, 0 of 4 from 3, 7 rebounds. He did have 5 blocks, so he was impressive defensively. But I will take Tristan Thompson's 22 minutes, 7 points, 8 rebounds, and share the 1 block on 3 of 7 shooting over the 3 of 10 shooting. And I I don't know, I just think Tristan Thompson, locker room-wise, and the other needs for this team, energy, strength, physicality, leadership, being a veteran in the playoffs, is more important to this group right now than Miles Turner will be two years down the road if the Celtics did trade for him, okay? So I will take Tristan Thompson right now over Miles Turner. Right now. Now, next season... Maybe the year after that, maybe Danny did mess up. But for right now, the way Tristan Thompson's playing on a minute restriction, I'll take that every day of the week. Seven and seven and eight, we'll we'll take that. So to start this game, the Celtics ball movement was perfect. It was awesome. Everyone got involved. Tice was making jumpers. Jason Tatum was like, Oh hey, look, you're open. Here you go. I'm not gonna take it. Twelve to two. They're up twelve to two. Timeout by the new uh Pacers coach who I'm having a brain fart on, but 
Daniel Tice is very active on both ends, making jumpers, blocking shots. I really like that. I, I think Daniel Tice ended up with two blocks in this game, even though he only played 15 minutes. Now, I know he his back was acting up, and that's why he missed one of the preseason games. And I I could be wrong, but I don't think he, he played in the second half. I, I really don't. And if he did, it's just because he started the second half with the with the same group and then just kind of went away. But he didn't play a lot. So I don't know if his back's hurting up again, and hopefully he gets a, uh, the rest because if not Grant Williams or Shemi Ojale, I better be ready to start this next game on Tuesday night in Indiana. So once the Celtics get this 12-2 lead, then the turnovers came. And I don't know what the hell happened. The Celtics ended up with 18 turnovers overall in this game. And a majority of them got the Pacers back into this game. I mean, these turnovers were awful. They were lazy. They were dumb. They were careless. I mean, Shemi Ojale was on a one-on-three fast break and traveled. How do you, like, that's just common sense. If you see that many guys around you, just pull it out and start something up. You don't have to try and attack and then go, oh, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. You know, like... You, you, you don't need to do that, and that was very annoying, like really annoying. Brogdon, Sabonis, the entire Pacers team built energy off of these stupid turnovers because the Pacers scored so many points off of turnovers in this game. I, I think at one point the Pacers had 13 points off of turnovers and the Celtics had zero, and that's how the Pacers got back into this game. And Tatum in the early part of the second quarter is what you want to see. Carry that second union. Union. <laughs> Carry that second union. <laughs> oh my god, I just said it again. Carry the second unit. G unit. Like, Jason Tatum was great. He realized he was the number one scoring option. He did everything that he could, but at the same time, if he saw someone open, he got them the ball. That is what you want to see. The Celtics closed out the second half, uh, the second quarter very strong. There, but I will say this, the weak side defense in this Pacers game for the Celtics was awful. There was one time where Shemi Ojale saw Peyton Pritchard was about to either guard Sabonis or Miles Turner. I think it was Miles Turner. And so, and Shemi was just like, switch, Peyton, switch. And Peyton had to literally sprint to the other end of the court. And I think it was TJ Warren. It might have been one of the Holiday brothers. It was wide open in the corner, stuck at three. In those type of situations, let Turner get the ball. And then collapse on him. Don't try. Their weak side defense was awful. And I, I really hope that that gets fixed. So the C's started off the second quarter. I mean, uh, the second half, cold. They actually, I think, got more fouls called on the Pacers than they were hitting shots. I think in the first like two minutes of the, of the third quarter in the second half, the, the Celtics had what? Three fouls called against the Pacers in two minutes, but they didn't hit any shots. And then the Pacers went on a 16-2 run. Absolutely, absolutely crazy to start off the second half after you finish the first half strong to kind of cut down the lead a little bit and you give up a 16-2 run. Part of that was Jason Tatum. I'm probably going to go off right now, and I really don't want to because it is Monday. Christmas was the other day, but Jason Tatum's dribbling and his ISO play is driving me fucking insane during this, like in motherfucking scene. I can't stand it. Sometimes he just dribbles and dribbles. Like he thinks that he can save the day on every possession and it's starting to get a little annoying and we're only into the third game. His footwork and his, 
hand-eye coordination are not on the same they're just not on the same page I don't even think they're in the same chapter. Hell, I don't even think they're in the same book. Now, there are times where Jason Tatum's handle looks delicious, and that's all that we see. But in this game, he couldn't dribble and keep his footwork on the same page. He couldn't do it. There were times where he was forcing it. There were, I mean, Jason Tatum, I think, had five turnovers in this game, maybe six. I know for a fact it was definitely five at one point. So maybe it was six, but it was definitely at least five. Five turnovers. He almost had a third of the team's turnovers. The team had 18. He had five of them. Five of them. That's not what you want from your number one guy. Jason Tatum will just dribble and dribble and dribble, try and spin. He loses control. Someone gets the ball. He loses it, tries to pass it out. It's a forced shot. It's crazy. And then all these ISO plays with him. And we'll talk about the lot. We'll talk about the final shot in a second. But he doesn't have to do everything. I know he wants to, and I and I appreciate that. But Jason Tatum does not need to be doing all this stuff when you have other guys around you. Get other people involved. And yes, I know defenses can change their the way that they look at things because they know that, well, in reality, the only two people that can actually score in this team on a consistent basis are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So I don't care about Marcus Smart. I don't care about Daniel Tice. I don't care about Tristan Thompson. I don't care about Shimmy Ojale, Grant Williams, Jeff Teague. Peyton Pritchard, whoever. The teams are literally changing their defense knowing that once Tatum gets the ball in a certain area, he is just going to play iso ball and teams are going to defend him differently. And he needs to be better dribbling the basketball. I don't understand how someone who focuses on his offensive game so much sucks at dribbling so much. It's insane to me. His footwork and ball handling have to be on the same page. Because when they were in early February, and when they were in the bubble, good luck defending Jason Tatum. And I know it's early. And I don't want to harp on the kid, because I love him. I watched him at Duke. I've watched him playing with the Celtics. I love him. I'd do anything for Jason Tatum. But his dribbling and ball handling, when he wants to do his little ISO stuff, has to change. Because eventually, that step back that he's filthy at, minus the end of the game, against the Pacers, he's going to need more in the basket than that. You know, I know James Harden has the step back and everyone is obsessed with it, but at least he can handle the ball. Jason Tatum has to be the best ball handler on this team if he's going to take it to the next level. And I know he had 25-11 and what, 25-11-5? I know. It's great. It was a great game. He almost shot 50%, 9-21. What what's that like forty five percent whatever the case may be? Jason Tatum lost the Celtics this game because of his ISO play and his poor dribbling. Simple as that. Now, the Scrappy Squad got the Celtics back into this game. Jalen Brown, Peyton Pritchard, Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams. That's what I'm calling the Scrappy Squad because when you think about it, Peyton Pritchard, Jim Rat. Tristan Thompson, gym rat. Marcus Smart, gym rat. Grant Williams, he's a hustler. And Jalen Brown, aggressive as all. As aggressive as they come. The scrappy squad tied this game back up. Now, Peyton, luckily Peyton Pritchard and Jeff Teague were very good in this game. They got, this, they got it back down to five going into the fourth. Pritchard shot the ball very well. But the person that I'm really happy about in this game is the Time Lord. 
Let's say Daniel Tice is hurt. We do not know. I have not heard it or read anything. Daniel Tice not being able to play and the Time Lord coming in and shooting six of seven from the field with four rebounds, four steals, and two blocks, even though he was a minus four and they lost by one. The Time Lord learning, playing better, and being in end-of-game situations is so freaking important to this team. I mean, that steal that he got at the end of the game and gave it to Marcus Smart. And let's talk about Marcus Smart real quick. Obviously, he tried to get an offensive foul call on Malcolm Brogdon, who clearly is a Celtics killer. He must have gotten a stinger because he was in a lot of pain holding his shoulder. Hopefully, it's not an AC joint or separated shoulder or anything like that. I mean, he did come back. But when Marcus Smart got that ball, when they trapped TJ Warren at half court, and he went for that reverse layup instead of going for the normal layup, my heart froze. It really did, because what if he missed a reverse layup? I understand that there were three Celtics. I think Jalen and the Time Lord were down there with him, and it was just Malcolm Brogdon, and they would have been fine. But, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, the other good thing about the Time Lord here is the Time Lord made a mistake at the end of the game. Okay, Obviously, the Celtics have to communicate a little bit better. But, obviously, when Sabonis caught that ball, he's very good at faking the dribble handoff. A lot of, you know, a lot of the Celtics players or centers over the years, probably minus Al Horford, but when you look at Aaron Baines or Tristan Thompson or Cantor or Tice, whatever the case may be, they just hold the ball and hand it off or try and pass it out. Sabonis is very good at faking it and attacking it, attacking the rim. He did that, got the N1, hit the free throws. We all move on and we lose. Then, so... Sorry, I'm just thinking about Tatum's last shot and I before I had to finish up on the Time Lord. Time Lord took blame on that. And yes, it was his fault. Yes, the Celtics should have communicated it better on the floor as a group, 1,000%. But the Time Lord owning up to his mistakes in year three after playing a great game like that, I think is very important for the Celtics. I really and truly do. I think that can go a long way and hopefully it can boost this kid's confidence, just like Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard's confidence should be sky high after that game. He was playing late in the fourth quarter over Marcus Smart. I mean, very, very impressive stuff by Peyton Pritchard. I mean, went. I don't think he hit a, missed a shot in that game. I think he went 5-5 five five from the field. I know he missed. I mean, Jesus, I can't speak today. I know that he hit all of his three-pointers. I don't know if he missed any other shots from the field, but I think he went 5-5 five five overall, 3-3 three three from three. I mean, to finish with 13 points, and I know he had a couple steals too. Great game. So, end of the game. It's 7.7 seconds left. That is forever in the NBA. And I know Brad Stevens said that option one was not available off the inbound pass, and that's fine. And I understand Malcolm Brogdon is an underrated defender, and I know he's also a lot shorter than Jason Tatum. So Jason Tatum, in this situation, when he caught that ball, he should have A, went, oh my God, there's someone who's like, five inches shorter than me on me and I'm going to attack the rim and get to the free throw line because I understand Jason Tatum has only taken what four free throws this year I think he went four or four in the Spacers game because he didn't take any in the Bucks game didn't take any in the Nets game he thinks he's a superstar a lot of us think he's a superstar so go to the rim sell it hit your free throws do what you got to do but a 30 foot Step back jumper that you took a ugly one 
in the Bucks game, and luckily it banked in. Like, what are you doing? You're only down one. Just get a layup. And the other thing is, is you can drive by Brogdon, and even if he gives you a hard time, someone is going to collapse at you because you're Jason Tatum. Kick it out for the open shot. You have Marcus Smart. You had Jalen Brown. Like, I know Jalen Brown, was, I think, was on the other side of the court, but just kick it out. Give someone a chance. Have them pump fake real quick. Seven seconds in the NBA is forever. So Jason Tatum taking a 30-foot step-back jumper at the end of the game and when you're only down one, awful. Absolutely awful. Horrific, stupid shot. I'm really angry at Jason Tatum. I know 25-11-5, that's so nice. But the eye test in this game, Jason Tatum stunk. He really did. But that's okay. A lot of basketball left. A lot of good matchups for Jason Tatum this week. I'm excited for him. But now, before we preview the upcoming week for the Boston Celtics, because I don't want to think about this past week. Yes, the Tatum shot was delightful against the Bucks. Yes, the Nets game I wish never happened. And you can... Kemba Walker's out on the floor. You, you win. You, you beat the Pacers. And you can beat the Pacers. And they will beat the Pacers. But for now, stud and dud of the week. Hit the music. And now, it is time for the Celtics stud. And the Celtics dud. Of the week. Okay, your stud and dud of the week for the first week of the NBA's regular season. The stud is Jalen Brown. He was the best player on the floor for the Celtics, the most consistent player for the Celtics all week long, especially in the Bucks game, especially in the Nets game. We could argue about the, the Pacers game, but super aggressive. He got to the free throw line a lot, and I think the thing that is not going to be talked about enough Jalen Brown's pick-and-roll game has improved so much. What he can do off the pick-and-roll, whether he wants to shoot it, whether he wants to attack it, whether he wants to pass it. I don't know if that's what he worked on during the offseason, but if it was, bravo, Jalen. Bravo. Absolutely fantastic on how well his pick-and-roll game is now, and I think that's really going to help the Celtics going, uh, going down the road. His offensive glass rebounding, Fantastic. He's attacking the offensive class. His free throw skills still stink. I mean, I know he went 2 of 2 in the Pacers game, but overall, this this dude needs to hit some free throws. I, I, I don't think he made a lot in the uh, the Nets game in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think he went f- 6 of 10 or 5 of 9 from the free throw line. Not great, but overall, fantastic week. He averaged 26 points a game, shot 53% from the field, and had almost four assists. He had four assists, three assists, four assists. So let's just say almost four assists per game. Great start for Jalen Brown. This has to continue. I talked about it last week because I thought it was a great point by Scal on, on NBCSN or NBC Sports Boston. Sorry, I shouldn't have called it NBCSN. But Scal was talking about how Jalen Brown has to be the, the second best scorer for the Celtics. And this week, you could argue that he was the best scorer for the Celtics. So Jalen Brown, keep up your improved pick-and-roll game, keep attacking the, the offensive class, and keep shooting the ball the way that you are. And I promise you, you'll be the stud a lot more than you were the dud. What was it, last year or the year before that? Because he was the dud a lot because I had high expectations for him. But Jalen Brown, stud of the week this week. And the dud, 
overall as a team is the transition defense and the turnovers. The transition defense of this basketball team has been an absolute poop sandwich. Awful. 65 points in three games for the other teams on fast breaks. Average it out. Let's just say it was 66. That's about 22 points a game. On tr- Like, that's awful. Awful. Especially when I the Celtics got five in the first game, seven in the second game, and then I think they got like... T- 18 or 19 or maybe even 20 against the Pacers. I, I just don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know it was a lot better than the first two games. But 65 points, you have to run back. Please, for the love of God, run back. I don't know if it's an energy thing. I don't know if it's long rebounds for the other team. But last night, the Pacers got the rebound, and they knew the second you get it, you run because this, they know the Celtics transition defense sucks. So whether it's a turnover, whether it's a, a long rebound, whether it's a normally missed shot, just turn around and run back and find the ball. The ball scores. Find the freaking basketball. And then the other thing about the dud of the week, turnovers. 40 turnovers for the Celtics in three games. Not great, Bob, especially when the first game you only had seven. So that means in the last two games combined, you've had about 33 turnovers. Teams have scored 61 points off of Celtics turnovers in three games. So I'm not like a, a rocket science or rocket scientist or anything. 65 fast break points in three games. 61 points off of turnovers in three games. Hmm. Do you think the two may have something in common? Run back. Just whether you, you miss a shot run back if you're not chasing your own rebound because let's be honest there there might be five players in the nba that actually follow their own shot these days because we all know jason tatum would never follow his own shot because he always thinks it's going to go in wow i'm very angry at jason tatum this week but just if you're not going to follow your shot run back and if you have a lazy entry pass or if you dribble the ball off your foot whatever you do get back don't complain. Just run back. Please, the game is so long. It's 48 minutes, so if you have a turnover in the first five minutes of the game, it's okay. Run back, please. So stud of the week, Jalen Brown, dud, the transition defense, and the turnovers. All right, let's preview the upcoming week for the Boston Celtics. Tuesday in Indiana, 7 p.m., back at the Garden Wednesday night for their first back-to-back of the year against the Grizzlies at 7.30. Then they spend the weekend in Detroit. They play two games against the Pistons Friday at 7 p.m. and then Sunday at 3 p.m. And then the following week, they play the Toronto Raptors in the Miami Heat. So to me, I think the Celtics can go 4-0 this week. I really do. I think they can beat the Pacers. I know that they can beat the Pacers. They can absolutely beat the Grizzlies, and the Pistons stink. So they they could literally end this week being 5-2. and two. Great. And then maybe split against the Raptors and the Heat. And then you got the Wizards, and I know you can beat the Wizards. So, what can they do about the Pacers game to try and switch things up? Keep attacking the paint. Keep being physical with them. Turner and Sabonis hate it. Turner and Sabonis don't mind being physical with you when they have the ball, but they don't like being physical on the defensive end. Number two part of that is late in the game, Sabonis went back-to-back possessions using the same move. He'd back it in, back it in, think that he was going to go for a little fadeaway jumper and then spin and go to the hoop. The Celtics have to be aware of that and have to help better on the weak side. Like I mentioned earlier, the weak side defense stinks. So the Celtics have to be more alert of that Sabonis spin move on the post. Number two, 
take care of the basketball. The Pacers got so many points off of turnovers. And, like, just run back on defense. That's all you got to do. For, literally, for the love of God, just run back on defense. Take care of the basketball, and if you don't, just run back. They have to defend Brogdon differently. There was one point late in the fourth quarter where Marcus Smart didn't even try to fight through a screen, which is so weird, and Brogdon just sat there and was like, okay, I guess I'll take this three-pointer, and he hit it. Magnum, uh, Malcolm Brogdon always plays well against the Celtics. He always has, whether he was on the Bucks or against the Pacers, he always plays well, so they have to defend him differently. The Time Lord, he got some great minutes. Can he do that again? I feel like one of the things that we really liked about the Time Lord in the Raptor series in the bubble was he had one game that was really good, and then the next game was okay, and then the next game was good, and then you know the next game was okay. I, if we can get more consistency out of the Time Lord, that will be good not only for him but for everyone else on the team. And then Victor Oladipo will be back. This will make the Pacers better defensively, which means guys off the bench like Teague and Pritchard and Shemi and Grant Williams have to be prepared to maybe score the ball a little bit more than what they're used to, and that kind of is a little bit scary. And then we have the Wizards game. For starters, let's welcome Brandon Clark into Boston again, where he is always welcome. Brandon Clark is always welcome inside of TD Garden whenever he wants, and I hope he plays outstanding. I hope the Celtics win, and I hope it's with an asterisk. Celtics beat Grizzlies, but Brandon Clark is should have been drafted by the Celtics. So welcome Brandon Clark and the Memphis Grizzlies to the wonderful city of Boston, Massachusetts, on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Now, besides Brandon Clark, obviously, what do you have to worry about? John Morant with a little bit of John Morant and a splash of John Morant. John Morant has been playing incredible the first couple games for the Grizzlies so far this year. Jaron Jackson won't be available, but this team can hoop. John Morant is unbelievable. Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Jeff Teague, they are going to have their hands full. Does Brad Stevens put Jalen Brown on John Morant? A little bit of a longer defender, maybe can be a little bit physical with them, and that way Marcus Smart can cover Dylan Brooks because Dylan Brooks is a great shooter. He can score from all over the court. Jonas Valanciunas, who used to play for the Raptors, is very important to them as well. I feel like Tice, Thompson, Time Lord can really attack him, but he is a monster on the rebound, so I'm really looking forward to seeing Valanciunas and Thompson go at it on the rebound on the rebounding side. One quick thing, need to go backwards to the Pacers game because it makes me think of Dylan Brooks. The way Grant Williams defended Doug Doug McDermott during this game when Grant Williams was out there chasing him around made me want to throw up. Dylan Brooks is also one of those guys that can run through screens very well, catch, and either A, attack the gap, or B, shoot it. So the Celtics need to prepare for that, not only with Doug McDermott tomorrow night in Indy, but also with Dylan Brooks uh, on Wednesday at the Garden. So, um, Taylor Jenkins, he is a good coach. He's the new coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. I think this is his second or third year. He won uh, Coach of the Month for the Western Conference in January. But the issue is, he's maybe not the best defensive coach around because currently the Grizzlies have allowed the third most points per game on defense. So that's a good sign for the Celtics. Yes, the Grizzlies can hoop. Yes, they have a good young coach. But they're having some problems defending. So attack the rim, pass the ball around, good ball movement, keep them on their heels, and let's go. Um, The Grizzlies aren't also the best three-point shooting team in the world, even though they have Dylan Brooks, guys like Grayson Allen, uh, Ty Jones, or, yeah, 
No. Yeah, Ty Jones. Wait, is it Ty Jones or Tyus Jones? Oh, my God. As a Duke guy, this is so embarrassing. One of the Jones's brothers um, – it's very early, folks. Uh, one of the Jones brothers <laughs> is on the team that can also shoot, but this team will run. If John Morant's out there, Brandon Clark's out there, Dylan Brooks is out there, this team's going to run. So the Celtics have to get back on defense. They really and truly do. And then finally, the, the two games against the Pistons. They are a brand-new team, and they are a lengthy team. Blake Griffin, Mason Plumley, Jeremiah Grant, Jahil Okafor. Lengthy team, can be physical, control the boards, attack the rim, get those guys in foul trouble, and you got a good chance. Derrick Rose is still on the Pistons. He can still ball with the best of them. And the Celtics will have to stop his dribble and drive penetration, his drive and kick, whatever the case may be. The Pistons will win some games this year. There's no doubt about it. But Blake Griffin's lost a step. Tristan Thompson can match Mason Plumlee's toughness. Jeremiah Grant dropped 25 on Saturday. Tatum and Brown can defend him, but Jeremiah Grant is also a good defender and can lock up Tatum and Brown. Now, when I mean lock up, am I saying hold them scoreless? No, just giving them a hard time. Sadiq Bey is also on this team, the kid that I wanted the Celtics to draft. He hasn't gotten a lot of minutes yet, but hopefully we get to see him play a little bit. And, you know, hopefully we get to see Aaron Neesmith play a little bit too. But the thing with the Pistons, they're not also a very good three-point shooting team. So if you can shoot the three-point ball better than them and get a couple of their big men in foul trouble, it's it's going to be no contest. They got Josh uh, Josh Jackson this year, the kid that was drafted after Jason Tatum. He's been traveling from team to team to team to team, team. It's actually pretty crazy how many teams he's been on since he's been drafted. So that's that. So the Celtics, I really – now, if the Celtics go 3-1 and one this week and they lose to the Pacers and they you know they come out of it 4-3, and what, four and three, not great, Bob. But I really think the Celtics can end this week when we start episode 105 that we can say, hey, the Celtics are now 5-2. and two. I, I really think that they can do it, and it will be a good thing, especially to do it on the road. Pacers games on the road. The Pistons games are on the road. I believe the Raptors and the Heat game next week are on the road. So if the Celtics can have like a 5-3, and 6-3 and three record somewhere along those lines for all these road games that they're having without Kemba Walker with a brand new team, small training camp, I'll be pretty happy. So that's it for episode 104 of the Banner Banter Podcast. Thank you so much for listening as always. I really appreciate it. I know this was a lengthy podcast. We had a lot to go through. Uh, happy New Year to you and your family. Please keep wearing a mask. Black Lives Matter. Wash your hands. Stay safe. And I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Find me on the Twitter machine at BannerBancher18 or on Facebook and Instagram at BannerBancherPodcast. That's it. Tools and noodles, X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.